If you're a visitor with us this morning, we've been in this, this series called If, and uh, what we do here at Connect is you can actually check out previous messages online at our website or, um, or through our Connect Church app. You can download that and you can watch the, the videos that way too. But um, you've come on a great day because we, we're wrapping up the series just by kind of um, just really going over the last few weeks and just making sure that we really just kind of um, conclude with what the the main emphasis was of this series. So, uh, you know, have you ever noticed how your behavior can, can tend to change depending on who you're around? Like, let's take, for example, at work, maybe you've got a boss who's, who's very strict and uh, doesn't take any nonsense. You know, you're probably a lot more serious and well-behaved around that particular boss. But if you've got someone who's, like, laid back and they have some fun and crack some jokes, then, then you tend to behave differently as well, don't you? Because the reality is that your view of someone can often determine your behavior around them. Well, there was an author whose name was A.W. Tozer, and he said that this happens in our relationship with God as well. He said this, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it will affect the way that we live our lives. Many of us here this morning would say uh, that we are followers of Jesus. We've come to that decision to, to pursue Jesus in our lives, to have him as a part of our lives. And uh, that would mean that you're uh, regularly attending church. Maybe you're reading the Bible. Um, we, we all have that in common. But the reality is that there are other things, maybe our upbringing, maybe a previous church we might have gone to, that affect the way we view God. And the way we view God can actually affect the way that we live our lives. Throughout this series, we've been talking about the possibilities of this word, if. Last week, we, we built up to this, this conclusion, this kind of highlight point of what if. That every one of us has these, these what if dreams. Like, what if, what if this idea I've got is something I should step out and do? What if I should change careers? What if I should marry this person? What if I should um, follow my, my dreams, my passions, my desires, whatever it may be, but many of us have these kind of what if moments, these what if dreams trapped inside of us. And sometimes the difference between stepping out and pursuing them and not can be simply down to our view of God. What we see, what we think about when we think about God. Because how you see God will dictate how you see yourself. It'll dictate how you see your future, how you see your life. When you close your eyes, what image comes into your mind? Is God smiling or frowning? Is he laughing or, or is he standoffish? Is he warm and welcoming with arms wide open? You see, through this series, we've been looking in particular at a, a chapter in a book called Romans. It's a letter that a guy by the name of Paul wrote to a bunch of Jesus followers in the city of Rome. 2,000 years ago. And the reason he wrote them this there is because he wanted them to get a full grasp of who God really was. You see, these were people who were used to a history of, of the law, of rules and regulations and sacrifices and, and all that was required to be in good standing with God. And then along comes Jesus, and he is the final sacrifice, once and for all, for all of us. The old law has now gone, and this new covenant relationship has begun through Jesus. And Paul is kind of working his way through this letter in this, this book that we call Romans. He's working his way through Romans to help us understand, to break down for us, his audience, who God really is and who we are in light of that. 
In fact, we've been looking at Romans 8, but listen to how Paul closes out Romans chapter 7 in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's saying that, Paul's saying, I recognize I have a tendency to do wrong. And that if it's up to me to do something about that, if it's up to me to to try and and do enough good, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be able to do enough right things to make up for the wretched man that I am. Maybe sometimes you feel like that. Maybe there are some amazing what-if plans that, that God has put inside of you. And they could be in jeopardy because you don't fully grasp the incredible liberating truth that we find in Romans chapter 8. So this morning, as I said earlier, I want to kind of wrap up this series by really just finishing off looking at this this short chapter, Romans chapter 8. And pull out what I feel are the three key thoughts from that chapter. The three key thoughts that we've really um, focused in on over these last four weeks of this series. And they are these. According to Romans 8, you are free, you are a conqueror, and you are loved. This morning, I want you to know that you are free, you are a conqueror, and that you are loved. And I want you to know this with certainty this morning. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are free, you are a conqueror, you are loved. So how is it this morning that we are free? Well, Paul, he answers this question himself. He answers his own question, who will rescue me from this body of death? In the very next verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's stressing here that because of Jesus' death on the cross, that if you or I are in Christ Jesus, if we have a relationship with him, we are free from that condemnation. Not because of anything that we've done, not because of any good works or anything we've done and how we've been good enough, but all because of what Jesus did. That's how we are free this morning, because of him, not because of us. Here's a great example of of how that plays out. On March 28, 1990, a guy by the name of Michael Jordan, maybe you've heard of him, a basketball player for the Bulls, he he had an incredible game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The overall score at the end was the Bulls won, 117 to 113. But Jordan scored a career best in that game of 69 points. That means out of the 117 points the Bulls got in that game, Michael Jordan alone scored 69 of them. A reporter asked a teammate of Jordan, a guy by the name of Stacy King, who played in that game. He only played 17 minutes, and he only scored one point of those 113. But the reporter asked Stacy King how he would remember that epic night. This was Stacy King's response. He said, I will always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> this was the night that between the two of us, we got 70 points. And he's right. You know, when it comes to our salvation, we want to be part of the scoreline. We, we, we try to say, well, I know, Jesus, you did this, but I want, to do, I want to play a part as well. I want to be able to say, and even if it's just one point, but you know, the truth is that according to what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 8, we don't even show up on the score sheet. It is 100% Jesus. And that can be freeing for us this morning. 
because we don't have to work hard to gain his love or to gain his affection. Jesus has paid the price 100% this morning. The sinless son of God went to the cross for us and all we have to do is enter into a relationship with him. Because Paul's saying there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being in him is us acknowledging that it's 100% Jesus, 0% us. Not even one point can we take credit for. It's 100% Jesus, 0% us. In fact, I'd even go this morning to say that it was 200% Jesus. Now, I know the math doesn't work, okay? But let me explain what I mean by the, the idea of 200% Jesus. You see, I don't think that we belong to God once. We belong to him twice. Think about it this way. Once by virtue of creation... He made us, he created us, he knew this plan he had for, his life, for our lives. So, so once by virtue of creation, twice by virtue of redemption. He created you, and then by his death on the cross, he redeemed you. Your freedom from condemnation this morning is 200% Jesus and 0% you. You are free this morning, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The second great truth that we can find in Romans chapter 8 that I want us to, to make sure that we, we remember before we close out this series, and that is that you are a conqueror, that we are conquerors this morning. In fact, you're more than a conqueror, Paul tells us. He starts out with this thought in Romans 8, 31, where he says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? That should, should stir up some, some excitement and some, some kind of feeling of victory this morning that God is in our corner. We talked about this last Sunday, if you were here, we talked about um, you know, wrestlers and, and boxers. You know, they, they're out there in the ring, they're fighting the fight, but in the corner is someone cheering them on. They have this, this person in the corner, and in our corner, it's Jesus. There was a guy by the name of Angelo Dundee, and for two decades, he was in Muhammad Ali's corner, literally, he was his corner man. He was the one that made Ali float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. He also trained 15 other world boxing champions. But listen to how he described his role. He says, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, you're an engineer, and you're a psychologist. And what better way of thinking about Jesus in our corner, fighting for us, He's a surgeon, he's an engineer, he's a psychologist. He's all these things for us because when God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus this morning, I take courage and confidence knowing that Jesus is in my corner. When I think of these what-if dreams, this what-if potential that God has put inside of me, I step out knowing that if God is for me, who can be against me? On top of that, Paul says, and, and listen, Romans 8.37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. That should fill you this morning with some excitement and some confidence, knowing that you can be more than a conqueror. And I know that maybe sometimes you don't feel like a conqueror, let alone more than a conqueror, but Paul's reminding us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not through any skill set of our own or how good we've been or how well we've done in this area. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, 200% Jesus, 0% us. I heard a story once about an NFL chaplain. He was the chaplain for a football team and this particular football team made it all the way to the Super Bowl and ended up winning the Super Bowl. 
Now, this particular guy is the chaplain. He wasn't on the 53-man roster. He wasn't one of the coaching staff. In fact, actually, like most chaplains, he had to pay uh, his own expenses to be able to be at these games. But he was such an integral part of the team, and the coach there was so pleased to have him as their chaplain that he decided when the Super Bowl rings were given out, he managed to make sure to get a Super Bowl ring to give to that chaplain. That chaplain didn't step on the field once. He did nothing as far as the football game was concerned, and yet he still got a ring. You want to know why you're more than a conqueror? Because if you're in Christ, you get a ring. Even if you don't play a single down, you get a ring. Even if you have a bad game, even if you're the ball boy, you get a ring. Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Which means you're on the team. It's that simple. And this is one of those things that as we thought about this what if idea is I hope over the last few weeks you've discovered that, that as Paul has been talking here about the view, our view of God is that we are more than conquerors, that if God is for us, who can be against us? That should fill you this morning with some excitement, some courage, some confidence to step out there believing that God is in your corner. That you are wearing that Super Bowl ring not from anything you did but for everything that Jesus did. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. Even though God is for us, and even though we are more than conquerors, that doesn't mean that we'll be exempt from the trials and the setbacks of life. Just because God is in our corner doesn't mean that we won't face difficult circumstances throughout our lives. Last Sunday was a fantastic morning here for us at Connect. We had a baptism service, and there were eight people that got baptized. And I know you got to see the video of one of the young men tell his story. And it was a brilliant story of what God has done in his life. But as, as the pastor, I'm, I'm kind of fortunate. I get to kind of talk to all of these people ahead of time, and I got to hear all of their stories. And every one of them had an incredible story of the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. So I've got to tell you, seeing them get baptized last Sunday and seeing some of their friends who have been instrumental in, in their transformation experience of how they've come to know Jesus, being the ones to actually baptize them. I just, I left here last Sunday. My heart was full and overflowing. It was just such a great morning. I left here. I had lunch with my family and I drove up to Chicago because that night I was flying to England so a few weeks ago, my friend, a uh, good friend of mine, a mentor really, uh, he was the guy who helped me get me to the United States in the first place in the 90s. Uh, he helped me start this ministry in, in America called Ace Teens. His name was Ken Williamson, brilliant guy. He passed away a couple of weeks ago at the age of 64. He had a sudden heart attack and died. And just, just really sad situation, way too young to die. But it worked out that um, I couldn't leave any earlier because of the baptism service. But I was able to, because this, this funeral was on the Monday, I was able to get out that night, fly through the night, arrive in England Monday. And then my boys were playing soccer on Tuesday, and it was senior night. Ben, my oldest, it was his senior night game on Tuesday night. So I had to then leave first thing on Tuesday morning to fly back to America. It was crazy. I wasn't actually even going to be in England for, I was going to be there less than 24 hours. But I was so excited because I'd made it work. There was this window where it would actually work for me to go and to be at the funeral. The family had asked when they knew I was coming if I would share a few thoughts about that time in the early 90s with Ken. So I'd written out this whole two or three minute talk of what I was going to share at the funeral. Couldn't wait to be there. 
So last Sunday night, I'm sat on a plane and we start to back up and uh, the pilot comes on and says, there's a light on the dashboard, we've got to get it checked out. So we pull back in and some mechanics get on and they check and about an hour goes by and finally the captain comes back on and says, okay, we've got it figured out, it was a false alarm, we're all good to go, so we're, we're going to head off now and we kind of make our way out across the airport and then he comes back on and goes, hey, the weather has really got bad since we've been waiting and everything's slowed down. Uh, we're going to be at least an hour, maybe longer, before we take off. So we just sat there in the rain waiting. So I'm now on my phone kind of doing the math. Like if I land, I've still got enough time to stop my parents quick, take a shower, um, get changed, get to the funeral on time. And then the captain comes on and goes, the storms have got worse. They've just shut the airport. And no planes are taken off or landing, and we're just going to have to sit here and wait, and hopefully the storms will pass by and we'll be able to take off. So now I'm like panicking. I'm texting Casey. She's texting friends, staff members, pray for Dave. He's on this plane. He's trying to get. Now I'm like, okay, forget my parents. If I could get changed into my suit on the plane, I could just get straight in the car when I get there, drive around. I think I'll just get there in time. Um, and then the pilot comes back on and goes, hey, good news. The airport's opened back up again, and we are next to take off. So now I'm like, yes, thank goodness. So we head out towards the runway, and then um, it gets time to take off, and the pilot, I, I don't know if he does this or not, but you, in your mind you picture something like that's happening because the plane is about to accelerate and take off, and, and I felt it accelerate, and just in that second, the whole plane like jerked right, and it was like, you, I couldn't tell what happened, but he comes back on, and he goes, you know, you probably just felt that, but we had to uh, suspend takeoff because the right engine didn't power up. As we were going to take off the engine, there's, there's obviously something wrong with the engine. He says, so we're going to head back to the gate now. And he goes, we probably will be canceling this flight. I'm like, we go back to the gate. By now, it's close to midnight, and there's not another plane going. I'm doing the math. I'm like, if they can get us on another plane here in the next 20 minutes, find another plane, get us on it, I can just get there in time to literally pull up to the funeral in time for my spot in the... And then they announced that... No more flights available. The next flight wouldn't go till the next day. Fortunately, they were kind enough to put us in hotels, so I, w I didn't want to drive back that night from Chicago, so I was sat in a hotel room at about 1.30 in the morning on the phone to these friends in England texting, saying, hey, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm not going to be there at the funeral. My heart was broken. I've got to be honest with you. I was that in that moment in my hotel frame just saying, God, so many of us were praying, why? why? Why didn't we take off? I just really wanted to be there with the family. I didn't understand why. I've been praying about it this week. And Now, don't get me wrong. I, if the engine's going to give out, I'd rather it gives out before we take off. So I was, I was thanking Jesus for that. <laughs> and fortunately, I was able to, uh, the family knew that I'd made every effort to be there. Um, I was able to send them a copy of what I was going to read and someone was able to read on my behalf in the funeral. They explained that my flight hadn't made it and then they read on my behalf what I was going to say. They actually broadcast the funeral live on YouTube. So I sat in that hotel room a few hours later just watching the whole uh, service on YouTube. But it was tough. I didn't feel like more than a conqueror. <laughs> In that moment, I didn't feel like God was in my corner, but there's another verse that Paul throws into Romans chapter 8 that I think we need to, to keep in balance when we're living our lives, because I do believe that we are more than conquerors through him and what he's done for us. I do believe that God is in that corner. But in Romans 8, 28, Paul says that we know that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose in all things. Now, the things themselves, they may not be good, but God harmonizes them together for, for a believer's ultimate good because his goal is to bring us to perfection in his presence. And the truth is, this morning, as heartbroken as I was that I didn't get to go to England to be at the funeral of my friend, I know that many of you this morning have suffered far greater difficulties, loss, pain, heartbreak, hurt. We've talked about this here at Connect, but um, October is a month that's specially uh, set aside for focusing in on pregnancy and infancy loss. Tomorrow, October the 15th, is a day set aside, and you may see some of your friends on social media post a, a, a post, maybe light a candle. We have families here at Connect who have dealt with just that. And the truth is that many of us could share stories this morning of pain, heartbreak, or disappointment. But somehow, if we'll allow him to, I think that in all things... God can work for good for those who love him. I've resigned myself to the fact that I may never fully understand this side of heaven why that plane didn't take off and the other two planes that night that flew from Chicago to London took off without any problems at all. But I'm choosing to trust that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. And despite that situation, I'm gonna stand strong believing that I'm still more than a conqueror, that God is still in my corner. He can use these situations in our lives to impact others and that he is for us. And who could be against us? I want us to remember throughout this series that we are more than conquerors. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, finally this series, I want to end with this important truth that Paul ends with himself in Romans chapter 8. We've talked about the fact that you are free. We've talked about the fact that you are a conqueror. But I want you to know this morning that you are loved. God loves you so much this morning. And let me, clear, let me just be clear about this this morning because maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. You, you may have grown up going to church. Maybe you're new to church, but you really have put Jesus as number one in your lives. But I recognize that there may be some of you here this morning and you're still checking things out and you're, you're kind of new. Maybe you've not even made that decision to follow Jesus yet. You're still trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. But when I say that God says that you are loved, he's not just speaking to the ones who have chosen to love God back. Every one of you this morning, you are loved by God. He loves you so much. Paul talks about this time and time again in Romans chapter 8, how loved we all are by God. There was a, a Swiss theologian. His name was Dr. Karl Barth. And he was doing a lecture tour of the United States back in the, the 60s. In 1962, he was at a college and um, speaking to a group of students there. Now, Karl Barth, he was recognized at that point in his life as probably one of the most greatest theologians of the 20th century. He delivered this lecture at the Chicago University. And following his lecture, a student held up his hand and asked him if he could summarize his whole life's work in a single sentence. So could you just tell me everything you've learned in just one sentence? This is a guy who has spent his entire life studying the Bible, studying God, studying theology. 
His resume included more than 600 works. His his magnum opus was a a piece called Church Dogmatics. It was written over 35 years. It was an 8,000-page, 13-volume set just on that one book alone. That's actually a little bit bigger than the one I've written (laughs) by about 7,999 pages. Mine's more of a Facebook post. But... um, (laughs) This great theologian, just a ton of information and wisdom over his life. And this student says, could you just explain or sum up everything you've learned in your entire life in one sentence? But he responded. And listen to his response. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I had to sum up everything as this great theologian that I've learned in my entire life, it is this one phrase, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a simple kid's song, but man, is it true. It is so true. It's it's, it's the summary of everything this guy had come to learn. In Romans 8.35, Paul says this, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What could possibly get in the way of Jesus' love for us? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul is basically just listing the things that he's been through himself. As Paul lived his life proclaiming Jesus in this New Testament world, he faced one hardship after another. He was arrested, imprisoned. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped. He'd faced trouble, he'd faced hardship, he'd faced persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and the swords. And I think Paul's trying to make the point here that that when we experience these bad things in our lives, even that doesn't separate us from the love of Jesus. There'll be times when planes won't take off and people may die too soon and loved ones will get sick and parents will lose children. But none of this should ever be used to determine how much Jesus does or doesn't love us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In fact, many could say this morning that during some of those trying, difficult times, we may have experienced the love of God more than ever before. Paul goes on to really emphasize this, to just hammer this point home in verses 38 and 39. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty exhaustive list. I think he's pretty much covered just about everything that you could imagine that might possibly get in the way of God's love for you and me. We could dig down into each of those ideas, but let's just, let's just focus for a second just on the height and the depth. Paul is saying that there is, there is neither height nor depth that can separate us from the love of God. Now, now when it comes to height in, in our lives, okay, if you look up and outside of this earth into the solar system, okay, we can go pretty high. We have scientists and NASA people and astronomers now who have created telescopes and huge telescopes and telescopes in space, and they can see a long way now. In fact, most recently, the, uh, the furthest galaxy that they've been able to identify is 13.1 billion light years away. I don't really understand that at all, but that's a long, long way away. 
The name of that galaxy that these astronomers discovered is Z8 underscore GND underscore 5296.6, in case you're taking notes. I feel like the people who are smart enough to find these galaxies, they should have another group to name them, okay? The ones who are smart enough to find them shouldn't be the ones naming them. There should be another group who just come up with names like Skywalker. We're going to call that galaxy Skywalker because it's awesome. <laughs> That's a long way to go as far as height goes. What about depth? So here on the Earth, the deepest place that you can go to on planet Earth it's a trench called Challenger Deep. It's beneath the island of Guam. It is 6.85 miles deep. Now, if you're like me, I need to visualize that in real life. So if you were to go out this morning into your car, turn left out of the parking lot, and drive to Metamora, you'd still be half a mile short. I would have looked up on Google Maps. You're still half a mile short. When you get to Metamora, the square there, okay, that's still half a mile short than 6.85 miles. That's a long way to go down. Paul is saying, you, you can't imagine how high, you can't imagine how deep, but neither will separate you from the love of God. Paul wants to make sure that we fully understand that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are loved this morning. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So let's wrap this all up. And there's a band from the country I came from called Queen you may have heard of them. They had a very famous song called We Are the Champions. They would sing it at every one of their shows. Never made it to number one, but it's probably one of the most iconic, famous songs you can think of. It's used now to sing at different events and sporting events around the world. I think there were probably some Washington families singing it as they left Metamora on Friday night when our Panthers beat them. Sorry, I upset the Pekin families a couple of weeks ago. I figured I might as well upset you Metamora families as well. We are the champions. But I bet you didn't know this, that in 2011, some scientists did some research on catchy tunes. Yes, there were some scientists who raised money for a grant who then studied the catchiest tune of all time and actually came to the conclusion that it was this song. This was the song officially the scientific body has decided that musical hits rely on math, science, engineering, and technology. And that this particular song, with its long and detailed musical phrases, its multiple pitch changes in the song's hook, its male vocalist, and its higher male voices making a noticeable vocal effort, they all worked together to make this the catchiest tune of all time. It's official. When it comes to the what-if potential that's locked up inside of me and you, this song makes for a pretty good paraphrase of Romans chapter 8 except for the line, no time for losers, because Jesus still has time for losers like you and me. But as we close out this series, I want you to know that in the eyes of God, you are champions. We are champions. I want this thought to get stuck in your head like a catchy tune today. The idea that you are free, that you are a conqueror, that you are loved by God. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Let's pray. Father, as we close out this What If series, Lord, it's, it's crazy to think that we spent five weeks talking about a word that is just two letters long, but although this word is so small, it has such huge implications in our lives. I believe that you've put within every one of us this incredible what if potential to live out the wonderful plans that you have for us. 
And very often, Lord, our view of you can, can actually thwart those plans. So help us to remember, Lord, that we are loved, that we are more than conquerors, that we are free because of what Jesus did for us. And with that confidence and that boldness, I pray we would step out and live the what-if dreams that you've put inside of us. Create the what-if possibilities that you have created us to do. Help us do this, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.